This is the last Sunday morning we'll be looking at these messages from Ephesians in that series we've entitled Together. Uh, however, this Wednesday night for Ash Wednesday, we'll have actually the closing message in, in the series. And uh, we're, we're taking things out of order just because it's, um, t- to be honest, it's more fun this way. Um, Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, but it's also what? Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday together. And I was thinking, hmm, okay. There is a passage in the fifth chapter of Ephesians that relates to the relationship between husbands and wives, which is a kind of a controversial passage that, to be honest, a lot of pastors avoid like the plague because it has actual specific instructions about how husbands and wives are to relate to each other. And if you're uh, you're wondering about that, look it up and you'll see why it's a little controversial. We're gonna tackle it on Valentine's Day. Why not? So uh, if, you, if that kind of piques your interest, come and join us this, this Wednesday night for, for Ash Wednesday. I think it's actually going to be a great way to introduce the, um, this season of uh, repentance, if not for anyone else, for me. <laughs> and, um, but as we talk about relationships in a way that actually extends much farther beyond the relationships of husbands and wives. So um, come and join us. It's not going to be a, a long service. It's going to be rather brief. And Ash Wednesday is, yes, that service where if you would like, you can get ashes on your forehead, the imposition of ashes. So um, come and join us at 6.30, I believe, this Wednesday night. We are, there's one more thing I want to say before I get into this text this morning, and that is, don't know if you're aware of this, but we have a young man sitting in the front row up here with a computer, his, uh, his MacBook, and he has my sermon on his computer. And it is in a special, uh, it's in a special software called Spiffio, great name for a software, Spiffio. It's actually developed by a company in Seattle called Theotech that does translation software. And so Alicia um, is, uh, Alicia and I and and his mom, uh, Nadra, and uh, we've been working together on this. And uh, we have uh, a subscription with with this software service, which has actually been paid for, we just got the news, paid for completely, a first year subscription, which is over $2,000, has been paid for by our presbytery. Because they're so excited about this. And here's what this software does. As I go along through my sermon, uh, Alicia follows it, and as I go to each new section, he hits send, and it goes onto a website which um, anybody in the Pakistani community who has smartphones, they can follow along on their smartphones and they are seeing in real time the translation of my sermon in Urdu and um, in Arabic script. So um, all of you who are Urdu speakers and readers, if you're not following along on your, on your smartphone, you really should be because it's, it's great. A lot of you already speak English. You speak English quite well. However, there are some words that maybe you won't recognize. 
And as we're going along, you can just glance down on your phone and you can see those words in, in Urdu and Arabic script. So this is pretty neat, I think. It's pretty exciting. So yes, sir, Tim. It will, yes. So if we have someone up here speaking in Urdu, we can actually turn this, the software around and it will translate into English. It's not as good going the other direction, we're finding, but we're, we're helping them kind of, we've already actually helped the company um, figure out one bug because we are the first ones to actually use script that goes from right to left instead of left to right. You know, English goes left to right, Urdu goes the other direction. So to edit it, we actually, they, they fixed it for us so that it works better. But there will potentially come a time, and especially at our monthly Urdu services, where if you would like to come, if we have a, someone preaching in Urdu, we'll be able to show this, the uh, translation of the sermon up on the screen in English. So, or anything else that's being said. So, pretty excited about this. It's a great new technology for, for worship and our life together, our multi-ethnic life together, praise the Lord. So, pretty exciting. So we've been looking at it, the uh, epistle to the Ephesians through a special lens, if you will. It's the lens of restoring God's work of restoring what was broken by sin. Paul says it this way in chapter one, verse 10, and this was our theme verse when we started, that God is gathering up all things in him in heaven and things on earth. There's this work that God is doing through Jesus Christ of restoring, of, of bringing everything right that was made wrong because of evil and sin. So if you can imagine this, this massive act of making right what has been damaged by evil in this world and beyond, this is what God is bringing together in Jesus Christ. But as we get to the end of the letter now in chapter six, Paul reminds his readers that this massive effort is not unopposed. Paul is very aware that there is a spiritual force, an evil spiritual force that is not in favor of the good that God is doing through Jesus Christ. Now remember that Jesus, from the very beginning of his earthly ministry, was opposed by the evil one in the desert for how many days and nights? Yeah, 40 days and night as Jesus was, uh, was tempted in and tried in the desert. Now Paul is reminding us something similar, that, that though Satan is defeated because of Jesus' victory on the cross, Satan has been defeated, but we still must contend with him. Evil is still present in the world. Weakened, defeated, but still present, which will be true until the final consummation of all things. There's still evil in the world. And Paul's message, as he closes this letter, is to remind the Ephesians and others who might read this letter, that's us, remind us that we need to stand strong against the wiles of the devil, as he puts it in verse 11. 
the wiles of the devil. Notice that, wiles. The original word here that is translated wiles into English is methodeia, a Greek word from which we get our words method or methodical. It's a word that only shows up in this book in Ephesians. Nowhere else in the Bible does it show up. And it conveys the sense of a, of a methodical, diabolical attack against which one must be armed. Paul wants his readers to be aware of this. Of course, one of the wiles of the devil is to actually cause that not to be so, and to cause an unawareness. In the introduction uh, to C.S. Lewis's famous little satirical novel, The Screw, Screw Tape Letters, how many of you read The Screw Tape Letters? Yeah, it's really worth reading if you've never seen it. It's not very long, it's very engaging, and it teaches a lot about what we're talking about this morning. C.S. Lewis says in the introduction to The Screw Tape Letters that the general public prefers either to ignore the forms of evil altogether, pretending that they don't exist, or to simply altogether, or just simply think of them in a kind of a cartoonish way. You know, the devil in a red suit with horns and a tail and hooves and a pitchfork and, and to, you know, it's, it's as much to say it's the stuff of fairy tale, kind of like the Easter Bunny. This is how seriously we take the devil. This, the public prefers to think of it that way, either that evil doesn't exist at all or in this cartoon kind of way. Of course, now that there's another approach is to, is to take an unhealthy interest in everything de demonic, taking it too seriously, which, which can turn out poorly as a result as well. We used to say, you know, looking for a demon behind every curtain and every door. Also an unhealthy way of looking at it. No, what, the, what Paul is asking for here in Ephesians 6 is in the words of N.T. Wright, he's asking for a sober, realistic assessment, both of the struggle we're engaged in and of the weapons at our disposal. We are not without weapons. We must know our enemy and not be lulled into thinking that he doesn't exist. He does. But we also need to be aware that he's, that he's, uh, we don't think that he's not more powerful than he really is. Because he's already defeated, after all. So, the answer to all of this, says Paul, is strength. Paul makes his, his, this message really clear in this chapter. He says it four times in this passage. The answer is to stand. He mentions this twice, verse 11 and 14, stand. He says stand firm in verse 13, to withstand in that same verse. Strength, stand. This is what, this is what he wants for us when it comes to evil. And, as is true with any battle, having the right equipment can make all the difference between winning and losing. There's actually one kind of tantalizing detail in, in this passage that Paul mentions in verse 20. He says he's in chains. 
So Paul's a prisoner as he's writing this. He's actually chained by the wrist, not, not chained to the table or, or chained to the wall or chained to his chair. No, he's chained to the wrist of a Roman soldier. This is the way they did it back then. When you were chained, you were chained to a soldier. That's kind of genius, really, because um, if, even if the soldier falls asleep, which I think probably would happen sometimes, if you tried to move, you'd wake him up. So there's always someone there making sure that you don't get away because you're chained by the wrist to the wrist of the soldier. So if you can imagine, Paul has been given the freedom to dictate this letter in prison. So he's dictating it to someone and he's sitting there. As he's dictating, he's sitting there looking at the person to whom he is chained, a Roman soldier. So just, just picture this, if you would. It's very likely that this list of armor was inspired by his captor. <laughs> so he talks about the belt of truth. He's looking at the soldiers, the, the belt of truth and the, and the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel of peace, the, the shield, um, the shoes that are the gospel of peace and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. This is the fully outfitted disciple of Christ, very similar to the fully outfitted Roman soldier, ready to stand strong. So here they are, all these pieces. We had the uh, skiers version this morning. That was so clever. That was great. But the uh, first, truth. The truth of the gospel is the belt that holds it all together. There's our theme, together. Truth holds it all together, the message. The message of Jesus is the primary thing, and it's true. Jesus was a real person who really lived, who really died, who really was raised from the dead, bodily. The resurrection really, really happened, it's true. And as someone said, it isn't true because it works. It works, if it does, because it's true. Never forget. Never give up on the sheer truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, because it holds everything together. It's the belt. The breastplate of righteousness. You, you know what a breastplate is? A soldier has this plate on right here. It protects you here. What's in here? Your heart? What else? Your lungs. How long can you live without your heart and your lungs? Not very long. Super important. Here's Paul's point. Righteousness. The fact that in Christ we are right before God protects us from deadly attack to our very core. Never doubt that you are right before God. If your heart is vulnerable, you've lost already. Wear that breastplate and know that you are right before God. The gospel of peace is where we stand. And these are our very shoes, or maybe your ski socks. So, but peace between God and humanity. Peace between hostile groups or formerly hostile groups as we heard about last week or two weeks ago. Um, 
peace between people, peace between God and humans. This keeps us on our feet to be at peace. When we hold on to the message of peace and all that it means, we'll stay upright. The shield of faith. Now, this is interesting because the word faith here is very close to the word loyalty. You know that word, loyalty? In connection with believing, loyal faith. Paul mentions one of the worst things in this context. He mentions one of the worst things that can happen in battle during his time. What is it? Do you have your Bible open in front of you? Flaming arrows. Yes. I suggest to you that flaming arrows were the dirty bombs of ancient times. When I hear about dirty bombs, I'm just, I feel afraid. Just like something, what do you do in that situation? Well, it was a horrible thing in Paul's day. It was a horrible thing to look up and see deadly flaming blades about to rain down on your head. Can you imagine? You need your shield ready because that's the only thing that's going to protect you is if you can raise your shield when there's flaming arrows coming at you. Paul says this shield is loyalty, faith. When the worst attacks of the evil one are raining down on you, you need this shield, faith, this loyal faith. When I think of loyalty, one of the first things that comes to my mind is the scene from the last book in the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. You know these characters, Frodo and Samwise Gamgee? Things were at their worst. They're on uh, the Mount Doom. Frodo is for all intents and purposes finished. And it's actually the loyalty of Samwise Gamgee that makes all the difference at that, at that moment. How did Frodo finish his mission? In that final scene when they're on the mountain where Sam says this. I love, the, I love this quote. I can just hear actually the actor in the movies saying this. I can't carry it for you. He's talking about the ring. I can't carry it for you but I can carry you and it as well. So up you get. Come on, Mr. Frodo. Sam will give you a ride. Just tell him where to go and he'll go. I love the way hobbits talk about themselves in third person. <laughs> but, but this loyalty of this friend, he wasn't perfect, but he was so loyal to Frodo, and because of that, eventually the ring gets destroyed along with, with Gollum. <laughs> the power of loyal faith is inestimable. It's huge. It's, it's like a shield that protects from the worst tax of the evil one. Remember to be loyal and faithful to Jesus. This is your shield. 
the helmet of salvation, knowing that you have been rescued by the risen one, Jesus Christ, and that Satan is defeated, that'll make it possible to face any and all secondary enemies, protects your head. All of these weapons, notice so far that they've all been defensive weapons. Did you notice that? There's one more though. And it is the only offensive weapon in the whole list. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's thought that this weapon is not the, the giant sword that you might imagine a Roman soldier carrying into battle. I always think of Roman soldiers in their big sword, you know. But no, this is actually, the word used here conveys the idea of a short sword one that was, is used for close personal encounter. We would probably call it something like a long knife. To me, this is really significant because it suggests the power of the word of God. It's actually expressed beautifully in the third verse of a great hymn that I love. Martin Luther's, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Do you know this hymn? <clears throat> In that third verse. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim we tremble not for him, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. One little word, the word of God. A word that is, as the next verse of the hymn suggests, above all earthly powers. That's how powerful the word of God is. Friends, never underestimate the power of the word of God, the sword of the spirit. This last March, we were in Jagale, Senegal, and we wanted to talk to the elders of the village about the possibility of building a health hut uh, a medical clinic at, in their village. But there was a catch. What we really wanted was for them to sell us a piece of land so that the clinic could be built on land that's owned by a Christian ministry. Because really, in order to be able to do the ministry that we need to be able to do, evangelism, that land needed to be owned by the ministry. So we were nervous about this as we were going to present this idea. They wanted a health hut. We wanted to build a health clinic that was an evangelistic um, outreach. So uh, our contact, Adam Asin, stood up before all of the elders of the church. And right then, there was the call to prayer. The mosque is just like from here to that wall from where we're standing. So a bunch of the men stood up and went over and started going into the mosque. And I'm thinking, great, this is good timing. You know, we're talking about a Christian ministry and the mosque is start, starting to pray, but the elder said, no, it's okay, let's go ahead and have the meeting. 
So Adama says, okay, and he, he gets up and he's talking to them and of course the Wolof language, the language they understand, he gets his Bible out. And I'm thinking, Adama, what are you doing? You're going to read to them from the Bible at this moment? Isn't that a little, you know? And he, this is Adama. He's just got a sense for where, where God is leading. And he basically opens up to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Anybody know what that is? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It's the Great Commission. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples and teach and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach, teach them what I, everything I have taught you. I mean, these are, these are very confrontive words. He gets his Bible out and he reads to them the Great Commission. And I'm thinking, man, what are you doing? You are, you are asking for trouble here because this is a Wolof area and they are very, very opposed to Christian ministry happening. There, isn't, there hasn't been a Christian church established in a Wolof village anywhere in the whole country. And here's Adama reading the Great Commission and then he goes on to say in Wolof, these people are, are here because they want to preach the gospel. And they would like to build a, a clinic to be able to help with medical, but also to preach the gospel. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, we've lost. This is, it's over. It's not going to happen. And so there's this pause, and the chief is sitting there, and his other elders are sitting there, and they're looking at us. And his response was, we know that these people love us because they've been coming here for 10 years. And whatever they want to do is fine with us. I was, I was just like, what just happened? And then what happened next was even more incredible. One of the men was so moved that he asked a couple of our group to go with him, went out to a field, which is basically right where you turn off the main road to go into the, into the village. And he said, it's a hectare of land, which is bigger than a US acre, big piece of land. He says, I would like to donate this land to the, the health clinic, which he did. And as you know, if you've been around um, this last week, we had the laying of the cornerstone that the clinic is being built. But I've been thinking back on that event that happened in the, uh, we call it the pinch, the center of their village, right there next to the mosque. And I've been thinking about what happened that day. And I believe that Adama reading the word of God the Great Commission at that moment had a huge effect. The power of the gospel being proclaimed, even in that context, especially in that context, is you just, you, you can't underestimate the word of God. There's power there. So keep it near to you, folks. Memorize it. Study it. Read it every day. The word of God is that powerful. So there's a battle going on. God is bringing everything back together in Christ and there's resistance. And you and I, whether we're aware of it 
or not, we are in the middle of that battle. So my question as I close this morning is for you, how's it going? I'm asking this because some of us feel we're not doing very well here, I think. Listen, the Apostle Paul has a word for us today. He's saying, check your armor. Do you feel the arrows of the evil one? Check your armor. Are you discouraged? Check your armor. Are you in any way feeling defeated, inadequate, intimidated, pushed down, dried up, discontented, disconnected, distracted, overwhelmed, under pressure? Check your armor. This is how you will stay strong. This is how you will stand in a spiritual battle. Know where these verses are in Ephesians 6, 10. Read them again, especially if you're feeling any of those things I've just mentioned. Whenever you're under pressure, I'm convinced that God will show you which part of your armor you need to put back on in order for you to stand strong. And the last thing he says in verse 18 is to pray, pray, pray all the time. You know, when it gets right down to it, it's not that complicated. The power of the word of God and pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. I'd like the choir to come, be ready to sing. Father, I pray especially for those of us this morning that feel like we're, we're not doing very well in this battle. Lord, we know that Satan has been defeated. We know that when it comes right down to it, he's powerless, but yet, Lord, we're in the middle of it. Oh God, I pray that you would show your power through the Holy Spirit that you would you would give an amazing witness to your overwhelming defeat of the evil one. And that God, you would show us whatever part of that armor we need to put back on. For those, Lord, who are feeling